There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome back to The Front Three. And this week we've got something a little bit special for you. We've got none other than Jimmy Conrad on the show. Yep, from MLS defender, US men's national team defender, and now star of stage and screen. Our friendship with Jimmy goes back a long way. In fact, I first met him in London with fellow front threer Lawrence McKenna. We played a game of football. I set him up for a goal. That's a different story. We'll talk to you about that another time. But this week we're going to be talking to him about Harry Maguire, the art of defending, and everything in between. So we really hope you enjoy it. Jimmy, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm standing upright. I'm breathing. So I'm taking the small wins where I can get them in 2020, Chris. I love that. I love that. So when we thought about who could we speak to about defending, the art of defending, or more specifically Harry Maguire in this first instance, we couldn't find a better candidate than you. And we tried. Let me tell you. <laughs> you mean you mean like Statman Dave and those guys weren't available? So so I'll take that. Uh, you know I have a Coach Jimmy series that I'm very fond of, and I like to hammer defenders in particular all the time. I don't know if I've actually gone at Harry Maguire before, but he has given me plenty of reason to do so. So this should be fun. Well, let's start there. Harry Maguire. There's been a lot said about him. From your vantage point, how would you evaluate his start to life at Manchester United? I would say, in fairness to him. I don't know if anybody, everybody's already rolling their eyes. Oh my God, he's, he's going to be on his side a little bit. Because he was somewhat of a desperate buy, and he ends up going for more money than Virgil van Dijk, who has already proven to be, at that point, one of the world's top defenders, there's a really unfair expectation on Harry Maguire and what he needs to produce for the, for the club. They're obviously going through a time where the back four is not great. They're still trying to find a replacement for Ferdinand and Vidic. I don't, I don't think they've done that since those two guys left. So you have kind of the weight of history as well, and you have the weight of this transfer fee, and the fact that you're just not as good as that transfer fee. So there's all these things that are that are piled in, and you have partnerships, particularly with Victor Lindelof, who haven't, who he hasn't really set the world alight either with his defending. You're playing in a system where you might not have a Roy Keane in front of you, right? Which definitely aided in the the emergence and, and uh, let's say the strength of that back four in, in the back. It was, you know, you look back with nostalgia too, right? Of all those things. So I think he's got a couple things uh, going against him. That said, I'm not the biggest fan of his defending. 
I think he takes a lot of unnecessary risks. I think he's well aware that he's not very fast. So he has to be really thoughtful about his positioning and where he dives in. I just think he dives in too much. I still think even if you're a little bit slow, you can still put yourself in a spot to make plays. Uh, When I think about some of the best defenders, and this might be a guy that people don't know, but Claudio Suarez in Mexico, he has more caps for the Mexican national team than anybody else. I guarantee you he was not faster than Harry Maguire, but the guy could ball it up. And he never, he was like Pirlo for the back line, right? He just, you never saw him sprint because he didn't have to sprint. And Harry Maguire just doesn't have that IQ for the game. And I just don't know, you know, I don't think he's ever going to get it at this point, right? I think that's something that you kind of already have a little bit of, or you've developed when you're much younger. So that's kind of my early impressions on that. I will say, again, in fairness to him, when Ole Gunnar gave him the captain's armband, I thought his play got elevated. And I thought that he started to take more responsibility. He became more vocal. And some players rise to that that piece of cloth around their arm. Others don't, right? Some of them shirk that op- that that responsibility that comes with that that captain's armband. I think he's actually risen and his game has taken a few extra steps. And I thought that was a pretty shrewd tactical move of knowing your players, knowing your team from Ole Gunner. But since this Greek police stuff, you know, I just think he's just been way too much. I feel like he's impatient when he's defending right now. He's trying to make plays happen too quick. And that leads to a lot of mistakes. You touched on a lot there. The the thing that jumped out to me was Coach Jimmy. If you can put your Coach Jimmy hat on for a second, when we talk about those weaknesses and maybe the reading of the game, if that's a fair way to characterize it, is there an obvious way to correct that kind of thing? Is it just as simple as reps? or, Or is there a way that you would look to try and address those issues that he has? I would say, and this is me not knowing kind of how they're setting up. I'm, I'm a geek about team shape and how your team moves in certain situations and everybody knowing where they're supposed to be. Because I think if you set those parameters and set that frame of reference as a coach, then it's a lot easier for your players to hold each other accountable on the field because they all know where they should be in any given circumstance. I don't know what Ole Gunner is saying there. I would be very thoughtful, I'd say, with regard to him if I was coaching him about not necessarily holding too high of a line. I would also say that I think Manchester United plays better when they have a double pivot with McTominay and Fred, two guys that ultimately, though they have got a quality to them, don't get me wrong, but they work and they work hard to block passing lanes and protect that back four. When I sense that United are a little bit more vulnerable is when they only play with one person who holds. Sometimes it's Matic who is not very fast and wasn't very fast when at his peak and is definitely not very fast now. So, so I just don't know if he's got the players around him to actually elevate his game even more. And because their team shape and because of the lack of consistency with the lineup, you know, it's always somebody new. And I'm going to give you one example from the 2018 World Cup that drove me insane. No, 2014. We didn't qualify for the 18 World Cup. Jesus, I'm still living in (laughs) fantasy land. 2014 World Cup. So you can take this example however you want, but for me, it's very meaningful. We played with Kyle Beckerman. Okay, he was our CDM. Again, not very fast, played kind of side to side, but just, God, the guy would work, and he would block passing lanes, and he made everything pretty predictable for our center backs. And sure, we didn't blow anybody out of the water, but we were in the group of death, and we got out of the group of death, okay? Which was in it itself uh, something to be proud of. Now, the next game, we play Belgium in the round of 16. Jurgen Klinsmann takes out Kyle Beckerman, and puts in Jeff Cameron because Jeff Cameron's played against Marwan Fellaini a few times in the Premier League. That's a quote. He played against him. You change everything. 
Now, for me as a center back, all of a sudden you bring in Jeff, Jeff Cameron. I don't care if he's the, the most money CDM of all time. You've just played three group stage games with the same CDM. Everybody knows how he moves. Everybody knows how he blocks passing lanes. Everybody knows how he wants the ball when you're in trouble with it. You guys are now trying to transition from defense to attack. And you switch it to Jeff Cameron. Now, mind you, Jeff Cameron isn't the best CDM of all time. He's more of a box-to-box guy. He fancies himself going forward and making stuff happen. That's totally cool, and I respect that about Jeff Cameron. But it didn't help in that game. We gave up more shots on goal than any other team in the history of the World Cup. And Tim Howard had to stand on his head for us to even lose 2-1. to one. So... When I see Ole Gunnar continually shift the lineup, and I know that you got to try to get Pogba on the team and all that, it, it just throws off the consistency and, and kind of nuance and subtlety of how the team is going to move and how different pa- passing lanes. And when you're playing against world-class players, which they are week in and week out in the Champions League and in the Premier League, it's really hard, I think, for them to kind of find that groove. And that's why I think you're seeing McTominay and Fred stick a little bit more because I think they do a better job of protecting the back four. You, you talked about 2014 there. You talked about Rio Ferdinand before. That was the year that Rio left Old Trafford. It was the year that Vidic left Old Trafford. I see pieces float around the internet sometimes about the lost art of defending and this almost mysticism about what it was like when we were kids. <laughs> Is that something that, as a defender, as a coach, as a person, let's say, you subscribe to, that there has been a, a a degrading or a dissolving aspect of, of how we look at the art of defending as defenders. Yes, I think there has been a lost art. I think with the emergence, let's say, of resources for kids to watch, there's not a lot of videos on YouTube with EDM music to people doing great defending, right? That just doesn't happen. You're seeing stepovers. You're seeing a lot of attacking plays, attacking forays, passing combinations, you know, Iniesta turning out of like, tons of pressure or whatever it may be. And I love watching those videos too, but there's no videos that are like, God, look how Maldini, you know, look at how he closes that angle down or God, he didn't even touch the ball, but look how much he impacted based on his position and how he forced somebody to turn around and play backwards. Like those aren't going to get any views. Nobody wants to see that crap, but, (laughs) but, but that's really what we're missing. We're missing some of that nuance and subtlety. And I actually had Jade Merritt on one of my streams recently during a U.S. men's national team game, and we talked about how there should be defensive coordinators. They have them in the NFL. They have a throw. Liverpool has a goddamn throw-in coach. You know, why couldn't you have somebody that does work, that specifically works on team shape, specifically works on, you know, your back four and how they move and how they protect and have that. I know there's famous, famous stuff from back in the day at AC Milan where they would they'd have their back four and they would challenge any, of, any players. You could have 10 players, and they still wouldn't get scored on because they knew how to move within a group and how to move together, and how to close down passing lanes, and make it almost impossible for the attackers to get, they could get a shot off, but it wouldn't be a shot of consequence, right? It wouldn't be a good look. It'd always be difficult. And so I just think that people are in such a hurry to score goals or to make the flashy play or whatever it may be, especially at a younger age. There's just no, there's nothing sexy about being a good defender. And I think ultimately what needs to happen is you need to be around people that, and coaches that, that take a great deal of pride in that. And what, what I think, is interesting when I talk about team shape and I talk about this with the team that I helped coach the San Francisco Glens fourth division here, shout out to the Glens. Um, when I, when I explain team shape to my players, I'd say, Hey, listen, I'm trying to get you guys all in the same page when we don't have the ball, because what happens is every time we I'd move them around the field, right? I put cones in certain situations. Okay. Who's stepping to the ball at the ball, you know, cones with like four cones are here. Who steps to the ball first. 
and it's up to me to decide. So as coach, I decide. I put, okay, actually, I want you here. I want there. Okay, move over a yard because that'll block the passing lane. I go through all of every step, and I include everybody on the team. The hidden thing about that is when that happens, that sequence happens in the game, right when the ball turns over, we know where everybody is standing, which then allows us to transition in a really meaningful way to the attack. If you don't work through those types of things, how the hell are you going to know where everybody should be? You're just hoping. You know, then you're out now asking your players – to, to like hit hopeful passes as the ones that they should know. Also, from a coaching perspective, it allows me to teach them, hey, actually, I need you three, three yards over here, you know, and we can get that shape together. And then, as I mentioned before, it allows you and your players, because you've created this framework, to hold each other accountable. Like, dude, if you're in the middle of the game, well, I can't solve that many problems for you as coach. You have to solve these problems for yourself. And so if you can say to him, hey, remember we worked on this. I need you tucked in three yards. You know, then I can reinforce that as a coach later or via video or whatever it may be. Like that stuff has to happen. And I just don't think we're having enough conversations. Now, when I watch games, I can completely tell you which teams work on team shape and which ones don't, <laughs> which ones are well drilled and which, which ones don't. And I had the chance to speak to uh, Roger Espinoza, one of my former teammates at Kansas City. Now, he played for Wigan when they won the FA Cup and then got relegated in the same season for Roberto Martinez. And every time I talk to guys that, that play for managers of – you know, have some reputation and consequence and, and some vibe about him. I always like, what do you guys do at training? That's all I want to know. What do you guys do at training? And he told me, and I love this because I see kind of the game the same way. All we work on is team shape and passing patterns. And I, 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 I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And I love that because I think you need to set those things. You have to put those things in place so that there's no, you're not guessing at what your, how your team's going to move. You can all obviously adjust to certain opponents based on how they're going to play and you, but you always have to have that framework so everybody can work off that same thing. So when I see an Ole Gunner team and he's changing his lineup a lot, it's just like he inserts somebody else and it's like they're not playing within the context. I don't know what the hell they're doing, just to use Manchester United as an example. And it just seems so, you know, blow the hand, roll the dice and see what happens. You know, yes, they've got incredible players, but he's not putting them all together. And, and I think a lot of it could come down to team shape. And I'm sure somebody could come on and be like, oh, I watch every training. They do work on it. Well, they suck at it then because they're not very good at it consistently. So, so. So that's, those are the little things that I would do. And I think I would try to fit based on the players that are at your disposal, you'd have to create some team shape that allows you to really play to the strengths and weaknesses of your team and how to, how to find that potential as a group. And then collectively, once you set those parameters, then you can go let them be themselves. Like here, 
here's the framework. Now go be yourself. You know, attacking third, go be yourself. You want to bomb forward? Great. We're going to set it up. We'll, we'll, we'll figure all that part out. But we have to start from a, 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 the same starting place. So I think it starts there. That's collective defending, right? And which allows us to transition. And then I would go into individual defending. You know, how you work together. You go individual defending. Then you work together in pairs. Then you work together in threes. You know, and, and then that, that, that bleeds into the, the collective. And so, yeah, there's all these different pieces. But imagine how much time and work you'd have to do. When I'm at a training, I have an hour and a half, right? I mean, you, you can't ask these guys to do too much more than maybe two hours. There's mm -hmm. so much to work on with the team. And there's so much that you're trying to figure out about each, each individual and how they pair up or triple up with other players and the combos, trios, how people work and all that stuff. Now, to your point, too, I'm all over the place, by the way, and I love it. Vidic <laughs> and Ferdinand, for me, had presence. When I see Lindelof, he seems a little unsure of himself. When I see Harry Maguire, he seems like he doesn't even know he's on the field sometimes. You know, you're like, does he know that he's playing? You know, that he's actually captain of Manchester United? So, you know, I think they lack a little bit of that. And I think that's not just isolated to Harry Maguire. I think that's a lot of teams. They're all thirsting for, like, that presence. Somebody to step up and be like, I'm going to be held accountable. I'm going to hold everybody else accountable on the field. And I think that might be a lost art in general is just how you teach that presence. And I, that would be part of it as well. Uh, teaching leadership ultimately yeah i found it interesting the fact you talked about structure it reminded me slightly of thierry Henry outlining guardiola at barcelona the fact that the first two-thirds of the field from goalkeeper to attack had to be structured for guardiola and then the freedom could commence you could do whatever you want in the final third but before that you have to to have that structure a along that same line of thought i always get drawn back to johan cruyff and what he said about space and that I can be the best defender in the world if you only give me sort of this much space, a phone box size space to defend. But if I have all of this space, that's, you know, back garden or backyard, it's a lot more difficult. The way you talked about team shape, is, is that what we're kind of drilling on, in on a little bit? That it is just about how you manage space as a defender. That is what is so intrinsic to success and failure. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it, of course. Uh, and also where the ball is, right? And where, because we see a lot, and it's crazy to me when I watch players at the highest level that should know better, they're holding a high line when there's no pressure on the ball. And you're like, are you guys insane? Like you got Timo Werner over here, you know, like the guy's going to outrun you. It's he can start five yards behind you and still beat you to the ball up over the top. So that kind of stuff really blows my mind. Now I say that I kind of have Southampton in mind when they were, uh, you know, down three zero after the first half, they came back and made a three, three. And I actually like what Ralph who's Huddle's done. And I think you can see a lot of team shape, and passing pattern in how they play. And then they get that freedom in the attacking thirds, very pep-like pep in some ways. But um, yeah, I think, I think that figuring out space, how to close it down, where you invite it, where you allow it to happen. Again, I'll reference another, another story. And I had this conversation, I think privately, it wasn't public, about just Italy, playing against Italy in the World Cup. And I remember we played against Czech Republic first, and they were all over us. I had never seen a national team play us so well. Then Jan Kohler, if you guys remember that big thug. A thug's a wrong word. I shouldn't say that. Six foot eight beast of a man up that played for Borussia Dortmund. He went out after he, – he slammed up the goal on us. And uh, three minutes in, then I pulled his hamstring. He was out for the tournament after the 17th minute, and they were done. They didn't have anybody like him. But they were unbelievable with their press. Neved was out there. Rosicki was out there. So good. And I thought, okay, cool. We're going to play Italy next game. And they're going to do the same because we really struggled with that type of pressure. We went out there. We had all the time on, on the ball in the world. I was like, they're letting Clint Dempsey do step overs from like 40 yards out. But their style is, yeah, we're letting you have the ball where you want the ball. 
you know, and, yeah. and it took me a while to really appreciate that. And, and I got to play that game and obviously we were down a man. And so it's like kind of a different type of, at that point, you're just trying to survive as opposed to like, like take it to somebody. And, but as I replay that game and as I watch it, like they're complete control. And I love that. I would say the same thing to my players. I learned a lot from that experience where just because we don't have the ball doesn't mean we're not in control of what's happening. And I think that would be the next kind of step, next iteration or next narrative that would come from this team shape is, yeah, we're pushing them where we want them. We're going to catch our breath. And then when we're ready to go get it, then there's certain cues that we've developed as, as players and as a team, like, okay, now's our time to go get it back. And we're going to stop on their throats and go score a goal. Right. I mean, that's, these are all these little things that you have to put into place. And there's a little bit of swagger with defending that, that has to come too, where they, you have to have your whole team buy into that. And I think, I've seen it happen where all of a sudden the buy-in is real and it's awesome where I didn't really help my team was that they didn't, I didn't give them that second layer of, Hey, we don't have to press high all the time. And if we don't press high, it's okay to sit back and absorb. And these are the ways that we have to move. I only had my team like twice a week for an hour and a half. It's just like, okay, what the, I mean, you have so much to work on. You only have three hours a week before they start playing games. It's, it's, it's hard sometimes to work on that, but I would say that there's another defender here in the States, Michael Parkhurst, who just retired Atlanta United and played with me on the national team as well. We talk about the lost art of defending a lot. We, we've talked about potentially reaching out and like almost consulting for youth clubs, MLS clubs, youth national teams about how we can help maybe put together like a defensive program for, for coaches and, and players to think about. I can break script for a second and say Parky is an absolutely fantastic defender. Oh, I had the pleasure of watching him for Atlanta up in New York, actually, in the playoffs of the year, and just his ability on the ball, the way he reads the game, I think mm-hmm. it speaks to so much of, of what you were talking about. The, one of the last things I kind of want to drill down on with you is you talked about some of the intangible attached to Harry Maguire and Victor Lindelof. You yourself, you had a, a very sort of rags-to-riches story in terms of the career of being MLS Defender of the Year, a national team player. How do you get into the mindset of, I belong here because you said yourself, you played in a world cup against Italy. That's the highest stage, whether you want to, you know, I know how humble you are with your career, but that's the highest stage. How do you get to the mental side of that and make yourself ready for it? I think there is an approach, a daily approach of I'm going to get better than I was the day before. And I think defending is interesting because the modern defender is expected to be able to play with their feet. You know, you can't just be this big guy that's running around two foot and anybody that's in your way. And, but I think there is still an element of intimidation. You know, there still has to be an element of when I play against this particular striker, he has to know this is going to be the longest day of his life. And you have to take pride in that. And so there was an article. I just found it. I was looking through some of my old stuff. And I'm like, this thing encapsulates me perfect because my main quote was, I like to frustrate people. And if you know that about me, then you'll know that being a defender is the best job I could ever have. And I took pride in that. And I would do my homework on who I was playing against. And I would try to take away the one thing that I knew that they loved to do. And if you take that away, they don't really like to play. You know, some yeah. players like to dribble, like to dribble at you. Well, if you're just uptight or if you're, you know, you're giving them a little bit of a knock or you're just making it difficult for them. Every time they touch the ball, some some players will shrink. And, and most players do, frankly. They don't want that. Uh, but, you know, obviously the world-class players that we have the privilege of getting to see week in and week out are, are pretty good at dealing with that type of stuff. The mentality thing is, is tough. That's a much longer question. I think that's something that is a different type of journey that has to kind of run parallel to the physical and, and other stuff that you're doing, nutrition and all that other weightlifting and all these other elements that are going to help kind of give you confidence. And I feel like you have to deal with some adversity. I, I talk to younger players all the time, and they just want to go from A to B. Like there's no, there's no dips. 
They don't want to have any yeah. dips. They want to. I'm like, dude, the dips are what makes all the ups taste sweet. You know, you have to have the dips yeah. to really appreciate where you are, and also what you need to learn to get there. And it's interesting how everybody wants a shortcut. And the big secret is that there are no shortcuts. So, you know, I did a lot of, uh, you know, soul searching. I was reading a lot of books. I was doing a lot of Zen type stuff because I couldn't get out of my own head. I'd make a mistake and and I would let that impact me for the next five, 10 minutes that maybe lead to another mistake. And then that would be another, it's just a bad, bad snowball thing. And then I started to kind of get out of my own way. And And how do you do that? And I think the best way that I did that was I started getting better in other areas of the game. I started to be better with, I started training with a tennis ball, like a tennis ball machine would come over and I really got my one touch Mm -hmm. down. My one touch was really clean. I wasn't making as many mistakes with the ball. So cool. I'm getting much better and more confident there. I'm going to keep going with that. I started to get a little bit stronger and faster and starting to lift and and lift more thoughtfully. Like what was more specific to my position? Cool. Got that down and feeling really good about that. Cool. Now I can really start to focus on some other weaknesses that I might have. And some of my 1v1 defending wasn't great. So then I started doing more homework. And as you start to build these little confidences, when the game starts to happen, you completely relax and you just kind of lock into what you need to do and who you're playing against. And that's it. You stop thinking. But when I was much younger, I just I would think all the time. I couldn't get out of my own way. you know. And so that, that's a, it's a learning process. And as you get up to the highest levels, you start to learn that Nobody cares if you have, you know, if you got stuff off the field that's happening or yeah. if you broke up with your girlfriend or, or you know, if you, your baby was up all night. You know, they just don't like you have to perform when the whistle blows and, and yeah. you start to learn that you have to cut your teeth in that in that manner. That uh, And so I think there's a little bit of that going on, too, where I think some of our younger players maybe don't uh, they want to be I don't say they're babies, but but this is all younger players. This isn't a generational thing. I think this is just normal for younger players coming through. They don't necessarily uh, can't handle the adversity very well. And so that's kind of how you weed them out. I mean, if you want to trust somebody to make plays for you at the World Cup level, they got to be able to have fought through some stuff along the way. You don't want somebody who's all just facing adversity for the first time. You throw him in a World Cup game. You're like, oh, go for it. Good luck. And then he makes a mistake. What's who is that? How's that guy going to respond? He doesn't know how to respond because he hasn't developed the coping skills to figure that out. So. You have to make mistakes. You have to fail, I think, to become the very best that you can be. And, and I was thankful that I got to reach the highest level despite not having, you know, a very decorated or a youth career or wasn't very highly uh, rated or, or heralded. Finish strong, though, mate. Finish strong. That's, That's what it. I like to look at it. And we do care about what's going on with you off the field, just to be clear. We like <laughs> to check in semi-regularly. But no, it's Jim, as always, it's, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. You've been as insightful as you ever are when I get to catch up with you. Tell our wonderful listeners where they can find more of you if they haven't already discovered your brilliance. Oh, I appreciate the microphone here. And I apologize. I feel like I talked for about 27 minutes of this 28-minute interview. Uh, It's just part of my style, part of my charm, I'd like to say. But you can follow me at Jimmy Conrad, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, if that's your thing, on Twitch as well. I got some big things starting up in 2021 on Twitch. So you get a live, live sports show talking about the beautiful game. So... I'm really looking forward to kicking that off. And if you're into Champions League, Europa League, and you're in the States, uh, I'm on CBS Sports pretty regularly. Ah, fantastic. Jim, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. And there we have it. Wasn't that wonderful? A nice chat with Jimmy Conrad, CBS analyst, former defender, and a wonderful human being all around. 